In this episode, we're answering your questions and tackling some of the biggest challenges facing first-time buyers. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first-home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. We regularly get emails from listeners about your biggest challenges. In fact, we ask for them. And many of you experience similar struggles. So we're sharing them today along with some of our tips for handling those very struggles. But before we get into that, we always know that Megan has a very interesting house that she's sitting in front of. So tune into the video if you want to have a little squeeze at this one. It looks like an island house. <laughs> it's a house on a rod. It- <laughs> It looks like the whole island is eroding underneath the house. There's not much island left. It's not. Um, what's the it deal? It has not eroded. That, is, that was actually built in 1905, a three-story house built by Joseph Lovering Wharton, who apparently was a socialite of the time. I don't know what classifies you as a socialite in 1905, but anyway, it's called Clingstone. Now, it withstood hurricanes, uh, it went into a bit of disrepair, but it is now owned by a very distant cousin, or yeah, cousin, I believe it is, of the uh, of the original owner, who has restored it and actually taken it fully off grid, um, and made it a very wow. self sufficient home. So look at where that. is it? Honestly, where is it though? Um, I love how you look at these fantastic homes. You get all this information. You don't know where it is. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> very bit I want to know it. Because if it's in a lake, then obviously it's, yeah, um, I don't know, it's a little right bit more right safe right than in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> I'll find it. And put it in anyway, let's just forget that. <laughs> Tune into the video, have a look, or Google Clingstone. <laughs> All right. Should we just let's hit off with, with some, some of these questions? questions you because wanna, they're crackers. Do you yeah, want to go first? Look- they're really good and they are meeting questions yeah yeah Mm. so um we're asked we are financially sound as in no debt loans etc but we still are a one-income family due to the age of the kids and our lifestyle we can't afford to buy a home big enough for all of us in the area we want to live so we think we should rent vest but if anything was to go wrong with an investment property like bad tenants damage etc it would instantly eat into our buffers and emergency fund which we wouldn't be able to recoup quickly enough on our low income Of course, it may all be great and have never been any debt before and growing up 
being told you have to work and save and put large sums of money into something, a large loan is difficult to comprehend. So I guess along with the risk profiling, it would also be having a long-term plan for what our investment portfolio could look like. I haven't reached out to anyone professionally in this area as I've not been looking beyond property number one, which I know isn't smart of me. Well, you got to start somewhere. Isn't this <laughs> such a – what's so amazing about this question is why we've put it as number one. It's because there's so there much a in lot. it. There's I, I I need a home because I feel like we should borrow – we should, we should sorry, should, we should own property, but I don't like debt because I've been brought up thinking that debt's mm. not good um, and I don't have any debt now and then I'll be letting go of that no debt situation in order to buy a property. I can't buy a property big enough for our family, so therefore it's going to have to be a, rent in, a rented property and which means, oh, there's all these other risks. And then there's also, oh, my God, but if I'm going to become an investor, well, surely I should invest loads and, lo and buy lots of properties and I'm silly to only think of one. So there's all these sort of shoulds and all these sort of false beliefs that a lot of us have because of – you know, if you listen to last we'll week's episode, up. if you've been on forums, you could, could well come out with a lot of a lot of false beliefs around debt and around how many properties you mm. should own. So there's all of that wrapped into this one question, which I just think makes it really yeah. good. And look, it's not a bad thing to focus on one property at a time. It it really isn't. But I'd recommend you know, it. <laughs> but I do I, I I do want to grab on that point. They haven't seen a professional in this area, and you and I are huge on building a team and bringing your experts around you, people who are experts and stay in their lane. Um, and I think having that big picture view of what they might be doing now and into the future, you know, may may they become a, a two-income family again in the near future? Could that be on the cards? Is Are more children on the cards? That big picture around the financial aspect, the financial planning is really, really important. And that's that's way outside our area of expertise, but it is mm. one of the first steps that we encourage people to do when they do your first time buy guide is to actually look at the big picture. Not say, I have to buy lots of properties, but have a look at your own big picture. Mm, exactly. Your life now, where it would be in five years, 10 years, where you want it to be, where you really, what you want the property mm. to do for you, rather than just say, oh, I, I bought a property and then like that's, that's job done. It's like, what will the property achieve for you? Because that's the important thing. You know, is it is it going to be that you do want to build up an empire? And if that's the case, well, then you do approach it differently. But the thing is that most, if you don't buy a good asset, number one, like you'll never get around to number two or more. So the focus does need to be on that very first one that you buy, because you know that around 70% of investors stop at one yep. property anyway. And one of the reasons I would hazard is because that first one doesn't actually do a very good job. And in, and when I say doing a good job, going up in yeah. value, actually being an investment, it doesn't actually provide a good enough return that allows those people to use that as a foundation to yeah. build and buy to, a, to work up property. to the next one. And another thing too is about looking at debt differently because Debt is scary, let's face it, particularly if you've never had it. We're talking, you know, six digits or something, seven digits potentially, depending on where you are. It's a huge amount of money, 30 years to pay it back or whatever. Um, and obviously interest rates rising and all the rest of it. Debt is scary, no doubt about it. But if you buy a good asset, there's a reason for going into debt, right? And that is about buying a good asset that will go up over time, right? So therefore the risk becomes less about the debt 
but in the actual property that you buy. That's really where the risk is. Mm. Heaps of people go into debt and buy really risky properties. They don't even realise it. They don't treat debt with enough respect, right? So you do need to respect debt and be somewhat fearful of it, but even more fearful what you should be, more fearful of buying a bad property. Yeah, and, 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 and a good property just isn't about the income. You know, some people focus on the income of the mm. property so that's cash flow positive. If it's yep. cash flow positive, it means that I don't have to put my hand into my pocket every month to, to pay the mortgage and the expenses and the outgoings. And that if seems we, safe, but seems it can be a safe, red herring. But income in the absence of capital growth is not a good investment strategy. It doesn't actually produce anything except for, you know, using a lot of money to generate a very small amount of money. Mm. You want to use debt to generate the bigger part of the picture, which is the compounding nature of capital gains. Exactly right. I love that. Borrowing a lot of money to make a small amount of money, which is what when you chase rent, when you really mm. boil it down to it, that is what it is. But there are ways that you can reduce risk too. And, and obviously, as I said, the biggest way is to not buy a bad asset, but Look, things can go wrong, you know, with tenants and all the rest of it. The way to minimise that risk of um, bad tenants and tenants doing damage is really by buying in areas that attract good tenants, buying the type of property that attracts a good tenant, mm. you know, that good tenants want to live in, choosing a good property manager. Mm. You know, there mm. are ways to mitigate these these risks. Mm. Um, also having good insurance, Veronica, yes. it's just so you cannot underestimate. You know, people complain about paying insurance Insurance is something you don't know how much you need until you actually need it. And when you need it, it is really important, particularly from a, a rental property point of view, because it can cover not only damage to the property in certain circumstances, in defined events, but it can cover loss of rent in certain circumstances as well. And if there's malicious damage by the tenants, there are some policies that will, will cover that. If they abscond and you're left with a property that you know you can't lease for a period of time, that may be covered by certain insurance policies. So there are ways to mitigate um, against those potential risks and having a good financial advisor or a good insurance broker is going to help you understand how you can mitigate those and then what your exposure is because not every policy is going to cover every circumstance. There's always exclusions. There's always things that aren't going to be covered, but you can understand what your losses might be or your risks might be when you've got the right things in place. So that's all about risk minimization strategies now our second question we are currently in victoria and looking to move to fnq or far north queensland do you have any it's recommendations warm up on there you're <laughs> very warm sticky do you have any recommendations on how to build our support team which is step one in the pay system building your support team for a move to cairns noting how often we mention <laughs> the differences state to state and the pitfalls associated and it is a great challenge, isn't it? Oh, that's just, that's such a big move from mm. Victoria where, you know, it's it's perfect one moment and sleeting the next uh, to Queensland <laughs> where it's perfect one day, perfect the next. It's um, not perfect if you don't like humidity. <laughs> Why are you going up there? But anyway. <laughs> Good people love it. Good for arthritis. Uh, it's it, I'm, I'm guessing that these people aren't in the arthritis category, but uh, younger, look, I think. Yeah, you know the tyranny of distance and the completely different property market to Victoria. So, if you've been gathering any knowledge in the Victoria market, what we say to clients when they come to to Queensland and they've bought anywhere else in Australia, I don't care if they've bought one property somewhere else or if they've bought ten, you throw everything you know out the window right now. 
and then we'll fill you with the information that you need that's relevant to the state that you and the the local government area that you're buying in. Yep. So so you do need to and we go back to if you listen to last week's episode, we talked about you know, um, where you can get some good ideas out of property forums and online groups and chat groups and so forth, um, but then using that to actually, you know, get out and find the the expert. Those sorts of chat forums are a possibility of finding some recommendations that then you can then externally go and check out for their local knowledge and their local expertise. And local expertise, we cannot we cannot say how important it is. You need to be very local. You need to understand the local intricacies. What is this, the local government? What are the building regulations? What is the conveyancing protocol in this in the area that you're, you're buying in? Um, mortgage brokers are you know probably a little less, but certainly it'd be better to be state based. Mm. They don't necessarily need to. You don't need to go and visit a mortgage broker now. You, you don't have to be in front no, of them. Everything's they don't online. Need wet signatures. Don't need wet signatures. Courtesy yeah. of COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, another place that you can look for uh, recommendations. Again, you know, we we advocate for finding um, recommendations for people and then investigating. Do your own in- investigations. Don't just go. Oh, okay, so you use that person. Great, I'm going to use them mm. because they you, you, they need to be right for you and your knowledge base and your experience. You know, I, there are conveyances where I know that if someone's bought five or six properties. They know the process. They know what's going to happen. I'm, that conveyancer is probably going to be right for them. There's others that are going to be, hold their hand a lot better and mm. guide them through a process if they've never purchased before or they're from interstate because they need step, 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 understanding, recalibrate, step, 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 step. You know, so there, there are different approaches that conveyances can make as well. Yeah, and someone that will take you through those steps and explain them to you because uh, and we've talked about this before in other episodes where we've talked about the two different types of conveyances. There's those that do a lot of the before you actually buy it advice to make sure that you've got all the right conditions, et cetera, et cetera, in your offer. And then the, and then the second half of conveyancing is actually the conveyancing, which is working through all the legalities of taking it from one one owner to another, right? Mm-hmm. And some conveyances only do the second bit. They're very blase about the first bit, right? Yeah, so yeah. you've really got to sort of understand what makes a good conveyancer. And it's one of the things that we obviously talk about in the course is, what makes a good any of these A, B, C, or D? You know, what makes a good conveyancer? What makes a what good questions do you need to broker? ask? And yeah. there's not actually many buyers agents up there in Cairns. I mean, I do know one who's been there quite some time. It's quite established and knows the area very, very well and all the pitfalls. And there's a few newbies that I would run a mile from. Mm. In fact, I had a conversation with one, uh, and I said, "So tell me about your due diligence process." And this person said to me oh, well, I just don't trust anything the agent tells me. And I went, that's not a due diligence process, mate. (laughs) What due diligence do you do? Because in Queensland, of course, and he wasn't originally from Queensland, in Queensland, there's very little disclosure. How Mm -hmm. do you go about making sure that all, you know, your clients know everything they need to know about their property? He actually didn't know how to answer me. So these are the sorts of questions that you can also ask, you know, and this is where, you know, People have gone through the course and actually then subsequently used a buyer's agent. They have been so well equipped to choose a good buyer's agent. They would never fall for someone like that. Mm. And I know when I was filming location, 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 it might have been, been oh, I think relocation, relocation, one of the, one of our episodes. We did a few up, episodes up in far north Queensland and I learned how important local knowledge was 
and knowing the due diligence you need to do, particularly in a cyclone zone. Yes. So there are things even in far north Queensland that you wouldn't have to worry about in Brisbane. I would never provide any kind of advice or input to someone buying in an area that um, has exposure to, to, to that sort of cyclonic weather. It is just such a minefield unless mm. you know, unless you have that local knowledge um, because there's different zones, there's different building types, there's, there's all sorts of different mm. things up there that I have absolutely no exposure to and it would be negligent of me to go into that sort of space and provide any sort of expertise. And I guess along those lines, it's why we harp on about this local expertise. It's not mm. someone that's only lived there for one or two years. Someone who's actually been through the cyclones, who knows the impact, who has seen the out- outcomes, um, seen what has been changed as a result of, of different building practices and so forth. Yeah, that kind of depth of local knowledge is what you need to be looking for whether it's a buyer's agent, whether mm. it's a conveyancer, um, if you're going going alone, what questions to ask the agent? Because that I, I couldn't even begin to guess at what sort of questions you would need to ask if you were buying a property in Cairns. You They're don't so know different. What you don't know. Yeah. You know, I remember walking through one house, it was completely covered in mold. There were mold everywhere because of the humidity and the house was unoccupied, being sealed up. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's something you have to deal with up there that you don't often have to deal with elsewhere. You know, there's lots of little at every local area has weird, weird things. It's the one thing mm-hmm. I did le- learn um, traveling around the countryside. I'm like, oh my God, now I'm an expert in buying property, but I'm not an expert in these local areas. And this mm-hmm. is why I don't like fly and fly out buyers agents even yeah. because, you know, I had to go, right, well, what don't I know? How am I going to find that out? And that's you know? the first step, isn't it? You Absolutely. don't know what you don't know. Yes, it's scary. I used to always do a, like a one-day recce, literally driving around and noting down all the questions I have from things that I would note because of my experience. But that's it. I know what I don't know. But yeah. for an individual buyer that doesn't know what they don't know, your first step is to find out what you don't know. Yeah, and then who to go, who to, go to. So I guess the question around this was how do I build my support crew? And, and obviously they've done the course, because you would only ask that question if you knew that that was the first step yes. in the ten the ten steps that you need to take. Um, and and I and I guess where we we've, we've gone through this is to say, ask people if they've used anyone locally. Certainly focus on that local aspect. Ask anyone, but then do your own independent inquiries. Um, and 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 mm. use the checklist that we've got of different questions for for different yep. types of advisors. And that way, you're going in with um, not only the questions to ask, but we obviously give guidance around what kind of answers you might get and what that might mean to your circumstances and situations. So it's not just what question to ask, but what do you do with the information when you get it? Yeah. Um, and how do you verify it and how do you make sure that it suits what you need? Absolutely. All right, let's go on to the third question. We live in the northern beaches and are attempting to buy our first home. Oh, good luck. We've watched yes. the prices skyrocket as of late and it's quite disheartening not to be able to buy a quality asset within our price range in the area. We can afford a two-bed, one-bath or a two-bed, two-bath at our max borrowing capacity, apartment in the northern beaches or a house in the central coast area. So we're talking here, northern beaches of Sydney, Sydney. central coast, just north of Sydney. Yeah. We have a two-year-old son and are afraid that we will outgrow an apartment and are not confident that we would see much capital growth in it. Oh, that's really good stuff in there. We're also not sold on the Central Coast, which leads us to our third option of buying a property on the Gold Coast in Queensland, which we would rent out and eventually move into when we're ready. We just feel as though we need to buy so we were, a- we're able to move on with other aspects of our life. Oh, don't you hear that a lot? Mm. Yeah, feel it's like you're like stuck you in a holding pattern. 
Yeah. 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 And I get that. I totally get that, particularly if you're actually ready to buy something. But I guess I'd want to pull out a bit and and look at a bigger a bigger picture and a plan. Like we said, in terms of the first question, mm. it's like, what's the sort of bigger picture here? What's the longer term plan? Mm. Because I mean, I the what the first thing I'd probably say is, are you how committed are you to moving to the Gold Coast? Mm. Like is is that part of your plan? And if so, then you would look at that in that yeah. as an option. Good to get if, your money into a market that you're going to buy into. So you buy and sell into to the market, but you've got to be pretty confident that that's where you want to be. Yeah. And, and you time might change frame. your mind. Oh, mm. yeah. Or, or it might be that you're only thinking that's your only option. Um, but that actually is a, one of many options yeah, that could yeah. be explored. Particularly if they are looking at that rent vesting strategy. You know, that that opens up a, a plethora of options. Really, you can look anywhere and focus just on quality of asset within your price range. Um, yes, because the problem is, of course, if you don't end up moving to the Gold Coast, one, the Gold Coast apartment market has been one of the poorest performing markets in the country in terms of growth. Longitudinal growth. Yeah. Yep. So not to say people can't make money there. Um, but it's the exception rather than the rule in certain places where there's been a lot of development. And so you've got to be super, super careful. Obviously, buying with a view to live there at some point might be okay. But at the same time, I'm guessing if you want to move on with other aspects of your life, you're really wanting this property to perform as a as an investment, as an asset. Mm. So you've got to look at it through that lens Mm, rather than sort of thinking if because a lot of people justify a property decision by thinking well if i'm going to live there one day then that makes it a better decision but it's not necessarily the case yeah particularly if it's not the property that you're going to move into so if you're buying into an area as a stepping stone for future livability so you're getting your money into the area but that's not the house that you plan to be in then you've really got to time your exit from that property and entry into the property that you want to live in now that sounds complex but all i'm saying is Coastal markets tend to be the most cyclical. So when things are strong, they tend to be really strong. When things are a bit softer, interest rates are a little bit higher and there's less disposable income around, they tend to be the markets that do drop. Now I say tend, um, that's Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast have showed showed us that historically. Um, we're obviously bucking the trend at the moment in terms of those two markets because they're both still um, going quite well, particularly houses on land, but Apartments are also doing pretty pretty well in those markets at the moment. What you wouldn't want to do is buy at the top of the cycle into, say, a larger comp- uh, apartment complex where there's more stock to come on, thinking that uh, you can rent that out, Airbnb, whatever your strategy might be, um, which is not necessarily what we would recommend, but if that's in your thought process, and then thinking that when you're ready to move, that will have gone up because that market can cycle back down and when it drops it can drop pretty spectacularly yeah i would also recommend the stepping stone tutorial so there's a stepping stone strategy and that is when you want to buy your first property and it may not necessarily be your last right (laughs) so sometimes it might be that you um yeah you want to buy a small property now and then and then upgrade that's usually what it is someone early in their life usually with small children So sometimes there are options to actually buy a home you could live in because you're not thinking about buying a four-bedroom home with two bathrooms, double garage and a pool, right? But if you buy a good first property that is only going to serve you, you really want to serve you at least five years, right? No no shorter timeframes here. 
five to 10 ideal, right? So a good first property that's going to work as a stepping stone to help you onto the ladder, then sometimes for many people, that's a better option than rent vesting because for starters, yes, you get your own home, you get to live in your Mm. own home and Mm. all the rest of it. But also there's tax benefits to owning your own home that you don't have with an investment property. Because one day if you sell that investment property, you need to pay tax on some of the gain. Whereas with your own home, currently in this country, we can sell our own homes and not have to pay any tax. So there's some real advantages to owning your own home versus, um, you know, rent vesting and mm-hmm. living in your own home. So there's there's other ways to skin the cat, I guess, is the what I'd be saying in response to this question. I, I love that they've really thought about the time frame as well. You know, they have a child and they're going to potentially outgrow the apartment. So I, mm. I think that's a really good self-reflective kind of process that they've gone through and certainly what we encourage is to think about you know where am I going to be in that five to ten year time frame is this going to suit me or is it a property that will perform well enough in that time frame that I can use the property as a stepping stone because those two things aren't necessarily the same thing Um, the property Mm. has to if you're going to stepping stone you have to make that property perform in terms of capital growth um, so the, the the asset selection, the location, which is, I guess, the basis of a lot of their questions here, I love that they've thought so thoroughly about that mm. and articulated it really well. It shows a lot of deep thought and a lot of process has gone into it. Again, I think getting uh, getting that support crew together and having a look at the big picture and understand their borrowing capacity, um, where their options are, and, and, and really uh, taking a good hard look at where they want to be in terms of location, um, continue that, down that path. But Stepping Stone might be a really good um, process to go through there. Let's look at our next question. So the biggest challenge is where to even start. (laughs) Uh, And we do get questions on this sort of theme a lot, actually. My partner and I are looking at buying our first home together in Victoria, and we understand it's ideal to have a minimum 20% deposit, but we've heard you can have as little as 30 grand saved, which we have. Um, But they've also read some of our material. There's an article, how much should I save to buy my first home, indicated a much larger amount, 100 grand. So we're a bit of a loss if we're even ready to consider buying or are our savings just too meagre? So, I love this question. Isn't it a great question? <laughs> Especially now that the Victorian government, government is offering to buy part of the home if you qualify. Like There's just some di- really different schemes around mm. at the moment that are aimed at helping with this how can I save kind of question. So, or am I ready with the small amount of savings I've got? With the savings I've got, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's also the federal government's 5% deposit guarantee. Uh, now, of course, Labor got in and there is, do you know if they've gone down the path of they've their got, They're honouring, yeah, they're honouring the 5% guarantee, but they're also, I don't think it's been legislated yet, their um, government by, what they call it? You know, it's, it's similar Sharing to what the Victorian the government time. are yeah. offering. I mean, and we've done episodes on this um, as well. And the good thing about where the government as part of the property with you there's a lot in it so we're not saying that's the way to do it but Mm. the good thing with that is that you can have a smaller mortgage whereas if you go with the five percent you're borrowing 95 percent. so when you've only got a really small amount of money saved and you're borrowing 95 percent, well you run you've got no buffer you've got you're running the risk of negative equity very very quickly Mm. you know what i mean so the the highest interest payments yeah because you're, you're you're actually borrowing more money, so yeah. you actually have to pay back more money. So, yes, and so getting in with only a small amount, say, even though you can with some of these schemes, 
you've got no room for error, no margin for error there. So it is quite tight. That's the reason why in sort of our article that you're referring to, we're, we're suggesting it's better with a larger deposit. But also when the market is rising and prices are rising faster than you can say, decisions about timing will vary according mm. with under those conditions than they will if the market's flat and not doing much or if it's falling. And so you've got a lot more time on your side if the market is, if you can outsave the market basically, mm. then the decision, uh, it makes more sense in many cases to actually hold off on purchasing and keep saving, you know. So it, mm. there's there's a lot in this. There's a lot. There's some risk as well. So just because you can buy with a 5% deposit, um, whether that's through any of the schemes or, or what it doesn't mean you necessarily should because, mm. as you say, negative equity, and, and just, just for a moment let's give a, a little gloss over of that, that's where you end up owing more than the property is worth. Now, if you've got a 20% deposit and there's a bit of a shift in the market and the bank says, oh, okay, you probably probably isn't quite worth what you paid for it, but we're okay with it, there's enough of a buffer there that we don't want you to tip in more money, that's one thing. But if you've only put 5% into it and um, the market drops, the pro pro value of your property drops for some reason, um, it wasn't necessarily the right property um, for that strategy. If you owe more than the property is worth, you could find yourself in a bit of a pickle um, and that can be a very, very difficult situation to get out of. Horrible. Okay. Well, um, we'll do some research on that uh, because th there are different schemes um well we did an episode we did an episode, episode 77 if you want to go back and and that sort of we do go through some of the schemes that we were aware of at that time and that was obviously released in june which is after the federal election mm. so we did run through some of those the pros and cons of different schemes and getting in earlier versus waiting mm. um there's also a bunch of other deposit um accelerated programs which i'm starting to store up links on we will probably do a debrief of some of those at some point mm -hmm. but i think the other that thing that we haven't touched on is lenders mortgage insurance now the mm. reason that the the ideal is a 20 percent deposit is you then avoid lenders mortgage insurance but you know we talk quite a lot about being open-minded to having a discussion with your broker about lenders mortgage insurance because there may be situations where you're better off paying a small amount of lenders mortgage insurance because the market is rapidly rising and you can't outsave the market and it might cost you less for the lenders mortgage insurance than what it would cost you to save the rest of the money so there can be circumstances where it's worth being open-minded to that uh, and get you into a better property or into the market quicker the other thing back in episode 20 we actually did a whole episode on buying sooner so that sort of covers off a lot of that stuff but bearing in mind episode 20 uh would have been released in 2021 and the market was pretty hot so some of the things that we would talk about then may not necessarily be um mm. that applicable now and and this is the lovely interesting complexity of buying property there's so <laughs> many moving parts which is of course why you're listening because you get how complicated this whole thing is so <laughs> we're here to help and yeah. hopefully give some more clarity around these these big questions yep let's go to the next question the biggest challenge i'm facing is my financial situation competition and waiting almost three years on a land development which hasn't started i have health issues which are being aggravated by this endless uncertainty i'm afraid to lose something in regional victoria but at the same time i can't continue waiting 
Wow. I've been hearing this and similar stories um, a lot of late. In fact, Chris, um, my podcast host on The Elephant in the Room, mm-hmm. he was talking about this, that people that buy a land, piece of block of land um, in a new subdivision that hasn't yet been subdivided, and it's effectively like buying land off the plan. Yeah. And then their deposit's gone and they're committed to that so they can't actually buy anything else or look Mm -hmm. for anything else and then the market does what the market does one of the things that we really do not like buying off the plan is because you just got no guarantee about what's going to happen in the intervening time but yeah they've got these these developments and when property prices start falling some developers go oh well i'm not going to develop it yet i'll wait because i want to you know sell on in a rising market not in a falling market and so then you've got somebody with the all their money tied up and different states. Once again, we talk about different states, different jurisdictions. So I guess the first thing that we'd recommend. Try and get out of the contract. Try if you can. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, and, and, and Start we're, again. we're generalising here because there are some other questions we would actually want to ask before providing any advice. And the first place we'd be sending them is a solicitor to mm. review the contract and find out, uh, you know, is there a sunset clause? This is three years down the track. So property prices have risen dramatically in that time. So if this person has a piece of land under contract three years ago, there is a really strong chance that that property may have gone up in in the last three years and may be worth more. If the developer is stuck with those prices and they can see that they could make another 20 30% if they were to sell at today's prices, they may be trying to frustrate the contract by not doing the development so that they can have the contracts cancelled. So it's important to have a a discussion with a solicitor around the contract. Who can get out? Who can't get out? Do you have any recourse against the developer for not getting the development done in a certain time period? Are there any remedies available to you? Or is there any way that you can walk walk away um, based on the contract? So my, my first piece of advice would be to get to a lawyer, really understand the contract, what your options are, um, but the sort of questions that you might ask the solicitor or the conveyance of Veronica, I guess that's where we can really help. Yes, and it's finding somebody also who's experienced in these off-the-plan uh, developments as well because um, a, a, a local solicitor probably has very little experience in this area. Um, even a lot of conveyances don't necessarily mm. specialise in this particular area. It's why it's one of the, you know, step one in the PACE system is to get your support crew and it's getting the appropriate conveyancer on board or solicitor on board. So finding that person out that does have the right experience and the relevant experience to give you guidance. Now, it might you might find that it's watertight, there is no sunset clause, you can't get out of it. I mean, in New South Wales, for instance, developers can't do what Megan's just talked about, but in Queensland they can. And in Victoria, I'm not 100% certain what the deal is. So that's why you need legal advice. Um, If you can get out of the contract and then decide to do so, then, you know, that's the time to start fresh and start the right way this time. Get everything in the right order don't be rushing off to go and buy something off the plan without understanding what actually happens, you know, that you can actually have your life put on hold on ice for three years That's or four so years or whatever. so long to wait, isn't it? Imagine the excitement of going, oh, this is where I'm going to build my house, getting some plans, getting excited, thinking about the finishes, and then three years later you're still there. 
Waiting. And, think, and you're wondering because you're in the dark. Like it's a horrible place to mm. be. And it's so funny in this world of delayed gratification, i.e. that we don't like delayed gratification, mm. we all want everything we want now. It's just quite bizarre to think that it, it still happens, you know. <laughs> um, and obviously the where, you know, the where to buy tutorial that we have, you know, if you're starting from scratch and you go, right, well, I've got a clean slate now, I've got out of this. I now don't have to wait. I'm not at the mercy of what the developer chooses to do or waiting for a sunset clause to expire. I'm free to make my own decisions and start from scratch. I'd say start with the where to buy tutorial. Start working out what you want, where you want to be, what your, you know, what your bigger picture plan is, you know, your direction in life, and actually then really go through a process to work out the best solution and the best place for you to live. You know, I, I would even suggest, Veronica, that doing that now before making a decision to terminate the contract might Ooh, be good a good order because mm. you might actually do that and work out what you've got to stay there is mm. such good value now that you couldn't actually afford to buy anywhere else. So doing that process of, of saying, well, what else could I buy? Where where could I buy it? What, what would it cost me versus what is sitting there and I'm I'm a bit delayed and that's frustrating. You know, mm. there, there is a, a very real emotional impact of that. Um, but if financially it's in your favour, then doing that word by tutorial is actually going to reveal that to you. That's such a good idea. I hadn't even thought of that because the fact is that that will also stop you stressing if it turns out that that is the right thing yeah. and, and fundamentally it's worthwhile waiting it out. And, yeah, 100%, I agree. Nice and that's why nice we're such one, a Megan. good team. Right. Oh, we are. There's always options. It's a matter of finding out what they are and which one's right for you before you act. So don't just act based on the emotion. You know, get it, get your head straight there. So, All right, let's look at this last question, Veronica. And it is the last question, but it loops back to the first question. But honestly, we've had so many versions of this last question that I just thought we should probably add this one into. I'm struggling with where to start. I have saved my deposit and are looking at properties online, but I'm unsure how the process works. For example, how to make an offer and how to not get taken for a ride. And I need to know what to do here. Do I need to find a mortgage broker, a lawyer, et cetera, first? Looking to buy within the next 12 months. Thank God you asked the question. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> clearly this person has not done your first home buyer guide course because if they did, they wouldn't even ask the question. But it is a classic and common question. Honestly, those challenge emails people send to us, this is, they could have been rewritten in these words. In so every, many of them are yeah, like exactly like this. What do I do? What order I do it in? How do I make an offer? Oh, you've got to do a lot before you make an offer. We <laughs> do one episode seven. Okay, if you want to go back and listen to episode seven, actually does give a very short version of what the whole process is. And so it is good to wrap your head around that. So you've got sort of the picture of you know, that's like the brush, the broad brushstroke of the whole process. Um, because and that's of course, based on your and my, you know, combined 45 mm. years experience of, of doing this and making sure that people don't make, put things around the wrong order or do a step out of place or, or you know, make an offer before they know whether they've got finance or, or you know, even start looking, um, ask the wrong questions of an agent. You know, that's, it's it's a process that we found and refined over a long period of time that covers off almost all the eventualities. Now we always, we learn we learn every day. You and I always you know mm. we'll get on the get on Zoom because we haven't seen each other for three years in the flesh. We'll get on Zoom and say, "You will not believe what happened this week." <laughs> 
So there's always something new to learn. There is. And and interesting too, dealing with agents, for instance, knowing how not to get taken for a ride. You know, there are times when we will buy a property, say in my business, and I know the agent's lying. And it doesn't mean you don't buy the property. Yeah. It means that you've got to be certain that it's the right property, that you've known how to price it, that you know how to do all of the due diligence so that it actually doesn't matter if the agent's taking you for a ride because it's like, it's okay. They can say whatever they want to say. It doesn't make anything different. But when you don't know the process to run through, I think my little light's just blown. When you don't know the process to go through, you're not confident that you've ticked all those boxes. And I hate using the term tick the boxes, to be honest. It's so cliche. But but you're not confident that you've marked. Yeah, yeah, well, we give you lots of checklists. Um, you're not confident you've covered off everything. Then, of course, you're going to be more nervous when an agent yeah. starts the sales tactics on you and all starts putting pressure on you to make an offer mm. because mm. you're going to be thinking they're conning me, and they might be. But if you can't be conned because you're really well-informed, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really amazing power of strength when you know what you don't know, and so then you've gone and gone, you've filled in the gap. It is. And it, it puts you in um, a position of uh, taking what might be rumour and turning it into either fact or fiction. Mm. And and that that is a very, very powerful position for you to be in. And sometimes you leave that in your back pocket. You don't necessarily need to call the agent out on or, or correct them no. because you don't want them to then be correcting other buyers. If they don't know, too bad, so sad. You know, really you're in competition with other people for, for this property. And you're in a much better position to be in control of your decisions and to make really well-informed decisions and to walk out at the end, either having bought or not bought the property and say, that was a comfortable decision and I feel like I knew everything I needed to know before I tr- uh, you know, said yes mm. or no and signed the contract. That is the power of having knowledge, real knowledge, um, and everything, and, and knowing the questions to ask and knowing how to check the answers. We, we often say if someone tells us something about a property, whether it's an agent or anybody, it's just rumour until we can actually verify it with facts. And the, the facts aren't what comes from another person. It's where you go to the source of the information um, and verify it. I just was thinking of a, of a property I walked through with an agent uh, a couple of months ago. So this, it was an off-market property, so it hasn't been, you know, actively advertised. And I think he just put it out to a few buyer's agents. So I was there on my own. And while I was there, I could hear someone else coming through the door. And it happened to be another buyer's agent, not one that I know particularly well. I sort of half knew who this person was and with her clients. And the clients were asking her questions. And this is why you've even got to be careful with buyer's agents, yeah. right? The clients were asking her questions about when the uh, renovation had been done. And I knew that this house had been renovated about 16 years earlier and it had been tenanted and we'd had a lot of rain. And I knew that that agent would not let me through that door until it had been painted and all this stuff done. Now, I knew there must be damage because if there wasn't damage, he would have let me through the door earlier. And so I've got all this background knowledge just because I know what I don't know. You know, so therefore I know I don't know all these things. I don't know the real reason, but I do know that that would be a very compelling reason. And so I've looked when I'm walking through that house, I'm looking for where would the leaks be? What's been freshly painted? You know, that's what I do because I'm I'm an expert in this area. This other boss agent, I couldn't believe it. So the client says to them, 
when was it renovated? She said, they've just finished. <laughs> and I'm like, no, they didn't just oh, finish wow. renovating. They <laughs> just finished tarting it up for sale. <laughs> Two very different things. Very, very different. Yeah. Even to the point that the agent and I were having a bit of a snigger because he just said to me, oh, well, I'll just let her say whatever she wants to say. I don't need to correct her. She is the buyer's agent after all. So there's the agent thinking the buyer's agent's got really bad ethics. That's There's a turn up for the books. Oh, <laughs> of just purely uninformed. Um, because let's let's just r- really quickly talk about what the difference is. Because if the, if a renovation had just been finished, then there's potentially, depending on the state, builders' warranty defects mm-hmm. periods and so forth. So there's, there's some lots coverage. of evidence you can find out to see yeah. if it was or wasn't. So yes. there would have been insurance. There would have been um, plans. All those sorts of things that you would need as the buyer, because that needs to be transferred to you as a purchaser. But if it's done 16 years ago, none of that is relevant anymore. So they're two very different buying Mm. scenarios. Not that you shouldn't buy it because it was done 16 years ago, not at all, but it's a different buying scenario, renovated, just finished, renovated 16 years ago, and you have to understand what that is so that you don't go in and get slapped in the face when there's there's an issue, a structural issue, three months after you settle and you think that's okay, I've I've got, it's all right, I've got builder's insurance. Yes. And you don't. So there's this. So many things now. I'm very disappointed. I hate. I hate it. I had to leave before I started telling the people and giving them free information, um, <laughs> because even even I, I didn't want those people to be misinformed. Even misinformed. though they're not even my client. I know client. that's the thing that hurts, right? Oh, I hate that. I really hate that. Um, yeah. It's not in the sales agent's interest to to disabuse them of that notion because the person that they're paying to advise them has given them the wrong information. Yeah, they're representative. So, so back to, and this is why this wraps back to the first question, which is around, actually maybe it wasn't the first question, uh, it wraps around to um, getting your support crew. That's what it wraps around to. And it wraps around to not just any old buyer's agent, if you're going to use a buyer's agent, not just any old broker, not just any old conveyancer, about understanding who the good ones are. Mm. Who are the ones that will look after your best interests, who are experienced in the right aspects, who will guide you through that whole process and you can learn from them as well. There's plenty of people out there in these spaces that give amazing service, particularly to first-home buyers who uh, have not got the experience and never done this before. And there are plenty out there that are really crap and don't give a rat's, you know. So learning what to look for, how to tell the difference is absolutely key, you know, to basically f- you feeling confident as you move every step through the process. So there are ways to do this, absolutely. And and obviously that's what the whole, you know, your first home buy guide is is designed around to actually give you all of that information you need when you need it in the right order. Yeah. And knowledge is power. And I'm just going to give you one more podcast that you can go back to or episode you can go back to. I know we've just I've referred to a few actually through this episode. Uh, if you want to sort of get more of a holistic idea about the process also episode 59. So there's there's lots of resources within this podcast, but they're not going to take you step-by-step step with all the checklists and everything that you need. You do need to do the course if you want that. You can't really stitch together all the episodes and make up your own course. But <laughs> no, we do not go systematically through the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> but there's lots of good info in the podcast, of course. <laughs> so true. We'll see you next week. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.